family. Welcome. So glad you've stopped in here this morning. Alas, the penultimate radio program. You know people use misuse the word penultimate all the time. Penultimate is the one before the last. So tomorrow, uh, I take my leave after 25 years plus of sitting in this chair every day, and it's been the absolute delight of my life. Difficult choice, but one that we made a long, long time ago, and it was lots of secret keeping, and then I rolled out two weeks ago. Uh, my final day would be the 24th of November, so it'll be a lot of stuff on the go. I think the world does need one more management labor lawyer. Oh, okay, I'll be doing a bit of that. <laughs> And of course, more than anything, it'll be kids and grandkids and some travel and Marie and I getting our lives at this phase into the new things you want to do. So I can hardly wait. Okay. There are so many things to talk about this hour, but I, uh, when I first heard this, remember I shared the story with you yesterday uh, and the Israeli pr- uh, prime minister's office saying uh, nobody said there would be necessarily a ceasefire starting today in Israel, except the media. Well, it was a lot more than that. There were pretty conclusive reports yesterday uh, that Thursday in the Israel-Gaza war today, now it is late Thursday, admittedly, with the time change, uh, there was to have been the beginning of about a four-day ceasefire uh, designed for the release of 50 women and children hostages who were captured by the Hamas terrorists on October the 7th. Uh, There's, as you know, over 200, but about 50 were to be released in exchange for 150 Palestinian detainees who are being held in Israeli jails. So it would be a swap. There would also be, although four days of a cessation of hostilities, uh, the Israeli uh, representatives on the record had said It would last one day longer for every 10 additional hostages released per day. So if Hamas would release more hostages, 10 a day would mean another day of no hostilities. Well, what happened Thursday in Gaza and in Israel, 300 more airstrikes by Israel into Gaza and air raid sirens warning of incoming rocket launchers from different Palestinian groups into Israel. So it was a day, sadly, as usual, I put in air quotes, uh, as has gone on in this war. So what would uh, this kind of truce, if they can get one, what would it accomplish? Uh, Is this something that gives the sides an opportunity just to cool things down a bit? And what are the prospects? Well, I thought of Elliot Tepper as soon as I read this story, uh, Professor Emeritus at Carleton University, the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs. And we've chatted with Elliot over the years on many matters, foreign affairs, and we find him on the phone this morning. Elliot, always good having you by. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, good morning. I have to preface this by saying what a pleasure it's been to work with you over the years and, you know, good wishes for whatever comes next. And it's terrible that we have to end our conversations on such a terrible situation in the Middle East. Isn't that the truth? Thank you so much for your warm wishes. Um, You've followed, obviously, as many of us have as students of of the Middle East, uh, from the Yom Kippur War to the different hostilities. What's the measure of this one? I mean, this appears to be very intense. 
Well, this is a war of a different type than the flare-ups that have been occurring with some regularity over time. We have to recall this is a what we're seeing is a very deliberate Hamas strategy, backstopped undoubtedly by Iran, uh, as part of a grander strategy by Iran. The Hamas st- strategy never fails, John. Uh, they do something disastrous and terrible, then Israel responds, then the world builds up pressure on Israel and saves Hamas because Hamas has embedded themselves so thoroughly in the civilian population. Uh, in fact, it's, it's fair to say that all of Gaza is full of human shields for Hamas atrocities. They get away with it because uh, the, the world pressure on Israel then builds up because the focus shifts from Hamas to what's going on on the ground. That strategy was not supposed to work this time. Secretary of State Blinken said Hamas boasts that's their strategy. They're not going to get away with it this time. Uh, we understand their game. But it's such a terrible, effective strategy that uh, right now what we're seeing in front of us is indeed the pressure has built up to do something, and the pressure is on two sides. From the world, Israel, you are just hammering Gaza. Uh, Israel says we're hammering uh, terrorist targets. But inside Israel in particular, the pressure is certainly on. And this is a historic position for Israel. We don't leave our people behind. Uh, Hamas knows that. That's why they took so many hostages quite deliberately as part of a planned strategy. Uh, Israel wants their hostages back, and then they're going to go back to the uh, process of eliminating Hamas as the governing authority inside Gaza and diminishing their capacity to threaten Israel again militarily. So as far as, I mean, there is the call uh, by many of the pro-Palestinian protesters, and you've explained it very well, who every single one of these conflicts comes out, you know, does the same thing. This is Israel being aggressive toward the Palestinian people. But but a four-day uh, complete cessation, if they were actually able to do that, does that give some opportunity for reconsideration, or is this thing with Hamas so entrenched it would simply just be a bit of a pause? I think everybody would be so grateful if peace could break out, you know, give peace a chance. But there seems little likelihood that's actually the, the uh, outcome of this pause. You mentioned something interesting at the front, that the pause could continue for quite some time because there's so many hostages that, you know, uh, as you put it, for every uh, every hostage released, uh, you, get, you get additional time on this pause. This pause works to the advantage of Hamas for sure. They get to reorganize, regroup. They've been set back on their heels by the, by the depth and uh, effectiveness of the attacks. Uh, there's been a lot of... Um, a lot of talk about, oh, Israel's just bombing indiscriminately. There's, these, Israel is systematically attempting to choke off Hamas and to eliminate it uh, as, a, as a threat uh, going forward. The tunnels become the focus here, and fuel becomes the key, uh, the key factor. Israel has said all along, look, if you, want, um, if you want oil to go in, you know, Hamas has got a lot of oil. Just go get it. But Hamas, of course, is using that oil to fuel the generators, to fuel the oxygen going into their subterranean tunnels. And those subterranean tunnels, uh, we should briefly outline how this is working. Above ground, the battle is being fought by lower-level Hamas operatives, and they are paying a heavy cost for doing so. 
the tunnels have the more senior commanders, and they are hiding out there, or they're gone altogether. They've left. (laughs) But the political masters who say, yes, this war will continue, or no, we want this war to end. If you want to say, how is this war going to end? The Hamas political masters have the means to do that. They don't live there at all. They live in Qatar. Uh, the National Post says they're multi-billionaires. The um, Qataris and the Turks are protecting uh, the Hamas leadership. That's why Qatar is given great credit now for mediating this hostage swap for convicted terrorist prisoners in Israeli jails who've gone through the court process. Uh, they're getting great credit for it because they are very, very close. Behind the scenes, perhaps, John, maybe. The pressure is on Qatar to stop doing this uh, sponsorship of of, um, Hamas, stop protecting them. Do you want to be listed along with Turkey as state sponsors of terror, which has implications internationally? But in addition, since our interview may run out of time, we have to broaden this out a bit. We are speaking right now, deservedly, of this humanitarian pause and the regrouping that will go on and the release of people blessedly uh, uh, who have been taken hostage by a terrorist organization uh, in exchange of course for the possibility that terrorists are being released from Israeli prisons but beyond that this has all the makings potentially of a much wider war all the attention is being paid on oh this is a Palestinian justification finally it's coming home to roost etc Hezbollah is very much on the edge of bringing this exact same um, uh, war to the shores of Lebanon. This has nothing to do, of course, with Palestinians, but with Hezbollah saying, we share the goal of Hamas and Islamic Jihad. We want to eliminate Israel uh, from the map, and we want to, uh, we want to basically <laughs> kill all the Jews that we can possibly get. They have raised the stakes here, but they've not yet launched a war. And behind that, the bigger picture is Iran. Iran clearly has proxies all across the region. We are seeing a widening of this war incrementally. So while we're focusing deservedly on the hostage situation, what's going on in the wider world is that uh, the U.S. is now directly responding to the increased levels of attack on U.S. assets throughout the region, which have been stimulated by Iran. So Iran is really raising the temperature here in a calibrated fashion. They think they can get away with it. Uh, the Houthis have now been brought into bear into play, uh, so new forces there. But the possibility of a much wider war, and finally, a war that might even involve Iran, is very much a possibility out of this Hamas action, which Iran has sanctioned. Gosh. Um, you're right. This is a gloomy way to have our last conversation. But yeah, of course, uh, Elliot Tepper with us. Elliot, uh, thank you so much. But I think I guess the watchword is uh, keep an eye on this. It may not be over yet and it may be larger. Indeed, I think that's uh, that is the way to end it, uh, along with very best wishes to you, John, for what's ahead for you. Thank you so much, my friend. Keep in touch. Take care. Elliot Tepper joining us on the phone, Professor Emeritus, political scientist at Carleton. Uh, he's with the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs, distinguished senior fellow. And on international relations, we have turned over the years to Dr. Tepper many times. Uh, the war rages on. He gave you some context of what this uh, four-day humanitarian type of ceasefire uh, would look like if it does happen. It was supposed to happen today. They're saying now perhaps tomorrow, uh, today, 
in the region, 300 airstrikes by Israel into Gaza as well. That very, very aggressive uh, ground war underway as a lot of special forces troops uh, involved in trying to free the hostages are involved in those tunnels. And the tunnel warfare continues as well. And, of course, rocket launches by the Palestinian armed groups back into Israel. You do know from the river to the sea, uh, Palestine uh, must be free. You know what that chant means, right? We talked about that yesterday. You know they were chanting that in the rotunda of the Saskatchewan legislature. You did know that? You, You didn't? More on that story next on 980-CJME and 650-CKOM. All right, those were some of the sounds at the Saskatchewan legislature a couple of days ago. So the chant, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Now, the CBC has pointed out that there's a great deal of nuance in that expression. And to be critical of that expression is actually Islamophobic. Yeah. Okay. So it's CBC as usual, which is a mouthpiece for the most virulent left. Um, it's not inherently threatening or anything like that. Uh, the expression is generally, and all you have to do is go back to the Hamas founding charter. Uh, the only way Palestine will be liberated is to, quote, kill the warmongering Jews and destroy Israel. You can ask Hamas leaders. Uh, the former leader, uh, and this is um, Khaled Mashal, uh, this is him in 2012, Palestine is ours from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, from the south to the north, there will be no concession on any inch of land. And the idea is, in fact, you just have to go to the poll yesterday we talked about. This was a poll done by a West Bank polling company, so they poll Palestinians in Gaza, And in the West Bank, three-quarters of Palestinians want their own state from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea with no Israel in between. So uh, the chanting that went on at the Saskatchewan legislature, oh, and the liking of the video that chant came from, liking by Jennifer Bowes, the radical leftist from uh, the NDP caucus, who's fingerprints were well in evidence on this uh, demonstration in the legislature. Uh, And, of course, the response of the uh, provincial government. Uh, And I get this. They're now going to limit the number of people allowed in the visitors' galleries because Ms. Bowes and others had been sending out messages last week. Come, make sure you're in the East Gallery. Make sure you're in the West Gallery. So uh, 1 o'clock on the 20th, two days ago, uh, they had the whole place full. And you've seen the video. It's question period. You know, NDP asking uh, SAS party questions. SAS party premier sits down. And then all of a sudden, the chanting starts. And this goes on and on. And I mean, there's an interesting point, And it's not that fine or delicate a white line. 
the people should be allowed and able to come to their assembly. And that's pretty fundamental in the way we're governed, whether it's the House of Commons in Ottawa, whether it's a legislative assembly in Regina, the people should be able to come and see laws being made. You should be able to meet with the various lawmakers. Not on the floor of the assembly. Uh, There's a thing called the bar. It's a brass bar that goes across the uh, front of the House of Commons and the front of the Legislative Assembly where only people elected by the citizens are allowed to go on the other side of the bar. But uh, politicians come go. You should be able to meet with them in their offices, meet with them uh, in their lobbies, wherever you might see them. Hence the term lobbyist, the lobby behind the curtains. Um, so this is a, a long and time-honored tradition, but you don't get whether you oppose free trade, whether you're in a union, whether you're one of these pro-Palestinian activists chanting this anti-Semitic crap, you don't get to start chanting and drowned out the business in the People's House of Commons and the People's Assembly when the people you elected are doing that business. You don't get to do that. So is the government doing the right thing by now limiting access to the galleries? Well, it'll go on. And uh, usually after these things, it goes on for a while. I'm John Gormley. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Thanks so much for checking in. Yeah, tomorrow is the uh, final show, and I don't know what it will hold. Uh, We are going to have a few people checking in throughout the morning, but it's going to be your day. You've been the listener to this show, and it's been you and you and you whose passion, whose sense of all things Saskatchewan has driven this show for 25 years to the heights it has, and uh, it's been an absolute honor to be here with you, so... I'll turn the phones over to you tomorrow. We'll talk about it. Only one scheduled guest tomorrow. Wouldn't be Friday without the big guy, Belton Johnson. It's eating time. And Belton, as you know, has been very active at Agribition. You know, he takes his cooking on the road now. A lot of shows, they'll bring Belton in, and he'll have the smoker going for a little while, night before, and then the guy serves up some incredible things. So we'll get Belton's take on uh, what Agribition was like as well. We were there a uh, day before yesterday, and it was so good to have just the uh, assembled group of people at one of uh, Canada's premier agricultural shows in Regina at the exhibition. I, you know I've now got license not to call it real anymore. I just... <laughs> Don't get me started on this. From the day they did that weird little remake, rebrand, rename thing, you remember it used to just be called Evraz, because Evraz was the sponsor of the Regina exhibition. Uh, it was Evraz Place, Evraz, you know. But then they took Regina Exhibition Association LTD, and the acronym is R-E-A-L. And somebody thought it was smart to strut around going, well, the real board, the real CEO, the real district, like, what's everybody else? Somehow less than real or not real? Like, just, 
It was funny. It was very, I thought, self-centered kind of brand. That's just my take. So uh, city council voting to remove the directors of the Regina Exhibition Association. That happened yesterday. Uh, it was a split vote, 6-5, very narrow. And again, I was surprised only that they didn't just say, hey, let's bring in a governance consultant, a group, you know, a special forensic audit, something like this, just to get to the bottom of it and give us recommendations, including the winding up of the Exhibition Association. But uh, the MNP study that was done recently did reveal a lot of these things, like the $17 million debt, the audit underway by Revenue Canada over a $7 million uh, allocation of money that was given by Ottawa to them. Uh, and a lot of this stuff is uh, a lot of questions to be asked and a lot of questions to be answered. So yesterday, en masse, the board of directors, uh, Wayne Morsky's chair of the board, uh, the other directors, when you see the uh, list of people who were CC'd, uh, the entire board of directors, and these are very high-profile uh, well-known Regina citizens who don't do this for the money. I mean, you don't get even paid for a gig like this. Uh, it's a significant responsibility, and they've been there as directors, so they all en masse uh, resigned yesterday. So now the city will effectively be uh, giving the instructions. They'll be the guiding mind. They'll be the governing board to then instruct and have, use oversight on the CEO, Tim Reed. And I don't give Tim Reed the over-under on how long that's. I just don't see it lasting. Okay, here's a political issue. And, and one thing we've done over the years, lots of talk on Saskatchewan politics. So the next scheduled election is less than a year from now, late October next year. So there was a vote in the pandemic, fall of 20, uh, four years before that. 2016. So the next scheduled election is end of October 24. So less than a year from now. So the parties are all nominating candidates in Saskatchewan's 61 seats. Uh, we've had a redistribution recently, so there'll be a new electoral map. It'll still have 61 seats generally where they are now, but certain ridings have been transformed fairly dramatically. There's some new names in ridings. So check out where you live. Go to the Election Saskatchewan website, and you can find that out. So in the middle of all of this, every so often, and I happen to think it's a good thing, when longtime MLAs, who generally are renominated without much fuss, because remember, each of the parties has to nominate a candidate, and they do that inside the party. Everybody who's got a membership in that electoral district gets together and says, I want you to be my candidate for the NDP in this riding. Same thing going on. I want you to be my SAS party candidate in this riding. So that's, you know, it's a bottom-up democratic approach. Usually when someone's been elected in a riding, it's pretty well standard they're going to be nominated for that party, right? But every so often, there will be a challenge. So somebody in the same party, it's like the primaries in the States. Someone in the party says, hey, you're the sitting MLA, you're the SASC party candidate or SASC party MLA. 
I'm going to challenge your candidacy. So I want to be the candidate next election. And then that sitting MLA has to make sure they've sold enough memberships, make sure they're in enough contact with the members of their political party and their constituency, and that they hang on to the nomination. They might end up losing their nomination. And this happened recently, uh, you know, with uh, Terry Dennis in the Kenora area, young guy named Sean Wilson, well-known road builder, uh, mayor of Buchanan, Sean Wilson said, I want to be the Sask Party candidate next time around. Terry Dennis, who'd been the MLA for quite a while, was defeated at his own nomination. On the other side of the province, a very high-profile MLA was being challenged as well in her riding. And this is the Lloyd Minster constituency where Colleen Young is the Sask Party MLA. She was being challenged by the former president of the Sask Party, a rancher in that part of Saskatchewan named James Thorstenson. So Thorstenson says, I'm going to try and knock off Colleen Young at the nomination. So it's been vigorous. They've been back and forth, you know, lots of campaigning going on. So next week on the 30th is when the nomination meeting is. James Thorstenson, after really pushing Colleen Young hard, drops out. Now, a couple of my political friends go, what the hell? And I said, well, that's probably pretty good for democracy because that made sure that Ms. Young kept in touch with her her members in her party. I mean, he challenged her. When you look at the map, there's a riding that bumps up right against Lloyd Minster. And it's actually not that far from James Thorstenson's ranch. It's the adjoining riding of Cutknife Turtleford. You remember the MLA there, Ryan Dometer, has been thrown out of the Sask Party. He's now sitting as an independent for being charged criminally with soliciting sexual services. He tried to hire uh, a sex worker, a prostitute, on an online sting that the RPS conducted. He was taken down along with 15 other men at a hotel in Regina just the other day. So Ryan Dometer still sits as the MLA, but he's an independent. So in the election next year, who should run for the Sask Party? Won't be Dometer. They won't have him. So James Thorstenson now throws his hat in the ring. He wants to be the Sask Party candidate in that adjoining riding. So that's been really interesting. Um, so for people who are uh, political keeners, left, right, or center, uh, it's it's a good look. One of my buddies says, what the hell, Thorstenson put Colleen Young through an awful lot of hard work, wear and tear. Look, I think it's a good thing when people are challenged. So I don't buy that at all, that this was a, a tough thing. But Thorstenson clearly wants to get elected as an MLA. So now he'll be hoping to be his party's representative next fall in Cutknife Turtleford. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.
good to hear that. Just <laughs> one of the things over the years we have decried on this radio program, and I know you have too, and it's not just on the radio show, it's life. The growing infantilization of our culture. You remember uh, when people started saying, well, you know, 30's the new 20. Uh, well, okay, I, I don't mind the 60's the new 40, you know, be young, be more active. But there's a world of difference between being 20 and even 17, 18 and being 30. If you haven't got a bunch of your plans already underway and nobody ever held you to them, goodness knows I'm the poster boy for that. I've done all sorts of things in my life. But there's a point at which you grow up. And part of growing up is the assumption of responsibility for your own actions and the ownership of your space. So you own that area around you. You own the area that you occupy. You're accountable for it. And you got to work and earn things. So here's the latest. In fact, one of our listeners was ranting yesterday, and I thought it was very true. We were talking about, you know, the, the, fe- the federal government has found, because when you spend $300 billion in one deficit cycle, um, you've got to give money to a lot of things. They're now giving money to a new co- group called the Grief Coalition. So we can all have the government help us grieve, for God's sake. Right. So there's this. So first of all, there's the intrusion of the state into everything. But there's also kind of an infantilization. You know, somehow I need to be held and cuddled and carried through a lot of my life. So two senators in Ottawa and the Senate, notwithstanding it's appointed, but the Senate knows it's not democratic. The prime minister of the day appoints. There's 105 senators. Uh, They do not sit for life. They sit till they're 75. And I think the Senate, I wish they were elected, but the Canadian Constitution, you're never going to amend the Constitution to allow elected senators. It ain't going to happen. You're never going to amend the Constitution to have the appropriate number of senators. Never going to happen. But senators are a great check and balance on the elected House of Commons. I think um, senators uh, don't have to worry about being defeated, so they'll often get involved. They have more time to do, like a lot of Senate studies become gold standard studies on different areas. Uh, A lot of the actions that senators take slow the House of Commons down just ever so much. So the House of Commons passes this C-234, and it was a private member's bill, which they don't pass much, and the liberals actually supported it in the House of Commons, enough liberals to get it through. It was a bill that said, when the whole carbon pricing, carbon tax, climate change stuff the Trudeau outfit is doing they exempted the carbon tax on farm gas. So things in your trucks, things in your equipment. But they didn't exempt it on natural gas to run grain dryers and run barns and chicken coops and dairy and just everything else. The House of Commons said, okay, that exemption's going to apply now. It gets to the Senate... And a number of senators, see, Mr. Trudeau no longer has liberal senators. He appoints senators, and they all join at different groups. The biggest group is the independent senators group. People like Bernadette Clement, 
She was a liberal candidate. She's an activist liberal. She sits in the independent senators group. Uh, Raymond Saint-Germain is the head of the independent senators, uh, again, appointed by the liberals and a very liberal person. There's a number of new Democrats, at least when the NDP were honest, they always rejected the Senate. So no NDP would ever take a Senate appointment. Now they all love Senate appointments because they get to sit as independent senators. So you've got this thing in the Senate going on where a number of these senators have tried to obstruct this bill that's come from the Commons. Uh, First of all, they amended in a Senate committee. Remember we talked about this? It's not going to apply. The exemption will not apply to buildings. It'll apply to grain dryers, but not buildings, because you should find other ways to heat your buildings. Well, that was not the will of the Commons. So Senator Brent Cotter explained the other day, and he's a guy, he's a new Democrat who sits as an independent senator, uh, but Brent agrees with this Bill C-234. So he's trying to get it fixed. So the Senate... A committee changes it, then it has to go to the floor of the Senate to be debated, and you've got all of this moving on. Andrew Scheer posts on social media a picture of this particular senator, Senator Bernadette Clement, saying, call her office, let her know, because she was responsible for one of the votes that was slowing down the debate. So, this member of the House of Commons says, call this person and tell her. Well, it turns out this was a wanted poster from the Wild West. That was the format. You know, the it looks like a wanted poster. And she's getting calls that are uh, really offensive. Um, she's been getting abuse online. And it goes on and on and on. Um, I didn't know... Uh, And again, one should not ask these questions, but you see a picture of uh, Senator Clement. It turns out she is uh, of African ancestry, so she's a person of color, and this is racist. And she's asked for protective security, and it's going on and on. And then the head of the independent senators uh, says she was intimidated because a senator walked over to her bench and he was so angry at what they were doing with this bill that some of his spittle landed on her. You are grown-ups who are in the Parliament of Canada. You are not infants as much as you are trying to behave like infants. Stop this. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.